0: Hello everyone, my name is Stuart Tugendreich and I am the Director and Global Product Manager of IPA at Kyogen. Today I will show you how you can discover hidden relationships in your toxicological studies with Kyogen IPA and over 60,000 curated datasets. Before we begin the presentation, could you please find the chat box in your GoToWebinar panel and let me know whether the audio is working, you can hear me clearly. You can just type in hi or hello. Okay, thanks for responding. All attendees will be in listen-only mode today to avoid any background noise during the presentation. So if you experience any connection issues, such as you can't see the slides or can't hear the audio, please type in the chat box. In addition, please use the chat box to submit your questions and comments throughout the webinar. We will answer these in a Q&A session at the end of the presentation. Today we're going to talk about what Kiogen IPA is, uh, the Kiogen knowledge base that powers IPA, what you can learn from analyses that are similar or different than yours. Um, I'll go through a case study of the biological effects of gemfibrozil in the liver of rat. We'll talk about Kiogen Omicsoft Land Explorer for IPA, and finally we'll conclude and take your questions. So KIAGEN IPA was built to understand the biology of living systems. So how do two samples differ from one another biologically? So you have a before sample of cells or tissues and then an after uh, sample of cells or tissues that may have been treated with a drug or became cancerous or uh, differentiated and so on and so forth. So what is the cause and what is the effect? We can predict that using IPA. So how you would do that is you you know extract and quantify the transcriptome, the proteome, or the metabolome, and you're comparing A to B. And so you can answer questions with an IPA like what drives the expression changes, what upstream regulators drive those expression changes, what effect biologically does that have, are there well understood pathways and how are they involved, do I see the biological changes you expect, do these results suggest new hypotheses, and are these results unusual or are they pretty. Commonplace. So, many years ago, the technology to measure a whole transcriptome or genome expression was invented, uh, microarrays and so on, and the challenge is how to interpret the up and down regulation of a whole set of genes. And so IPA was developed to help answer these questions. So IPA can now look upstream and predict what's driving the, these expression changes or these other types of changes you're seeing. Um, and then downstream, what's happening to uh, pathways and biological functions. And all of this is powered by the literature that's curated behind IPA. So each of these lines or edges or relationships are, are uh, there are papers that. Uh, behind those that are referencing those connections. So these are curated from the biomedical literature and I'll get into how that's done a little bit later. So just to show you what Kaigen IPA can do as far as visualizing this information in the data set, we can predict, and like I said, these are downstream functions and diseases and this this heat map is colored by the predicted effect on various functions like small molecule biochemistry, uh, lipid metabolism, and so on, the orange color indicates predicted increase in that function, and a blue indicates predicted decrease. And that color scheme of orange for predicted increase and blue for predicted decrease is, is played out through many different visualizations in IPA. So, for example, um, pathways, these are a bar, this is a bar chart of canonical pathways and each bar represents the significance to overlap to your data set, but the color tells you that the, uh, whether it's activated or inhibited. There are, that course details about what each pathway is. Um, There are causal networks, as we call them, where a master regulator regulates other regulators that then leads to expression changes in the data sets. There are something called regulator effects that pulls together upstream regulators, the genes that um, are in your data set, and then what impact those uh, changes would have in the genes would have on downstream functions. Um, this is just a subset of the things IPA can predict and show. Uh, and you don't even need a data set to use IPA. So, for example, um, the, the uh, you can put a gene on a pathway, a protein on a pathway like NFE two L two, put it put a disease or a function like disease of kidney, and then ask how do they connect and in what causal way do they connect. So you can uh, connect through other molecules. They may not connect directly. Actually these do, there is a direct connection between NFE two L two and disease disease of kidney, but they're also intervening molecules that control the you know that uh, affected by nfe2l2 in some way and then lead to some aspect of disease of kidney all again backed by literature but you can also predict the causality based on that literature and use that in a colored way like this where you can show that by knocking down nfe2l2 in some way so inhibiting it that's the green color that would lead to decreased uh, activity or expression of these blue ones and increased activity of the orange ones uh, in this pathway, which would then lead all overall to increased disease of kidneys. So you can make predictions and interactively explore all kinds of hypotheses using IPAs, pathways, and networks. There's another tool called Bioprofiler, which is a way of looking up the detailed connections and filtering on those connections between genes and chemicals and diseases and functions. So in this example, uh, we're looking at, we search for nephritis and now asking the question, which molecules are associated in some ways with some aspect of nephritis or some type of nephritis, I should say. And so um, there are, at this time when the screenshot was taken, there was 568 molecules associated with nephritis or more specific types of nephritis. And the that's an, a point I wanted to make, which is that the kyogen or ingenuity ontology can gather all the subtypes of nephritis together without you having to know these subtypes. It knows that they are children terms of nephritis, and they're all gathered together. Um, and then you can do things like ask questions around what molecules, uh, when you inhibit them, might increase nephritis. uh for example, or decrease nephritis. So the causality is a filterable activity, uh, filterable attribute. So you can say, okay, I'm going to filter for this table for all the molecules where you decrease their activity leading to increase in uh, nephritis. And that's now 141. And this uh, causality is very powerful for making hypotheses. It's not just associations. It's If I knock down this protein, it might cause this Increase in this endpoint. In fact, this was a toxicological tool uh, as well, because if you see an off-target or you see a unexpected phenotype in an animal in a toxicological study, you may be able to work backwards from that phenotype to understand what genes are likely driving that off-target or on-target toxicity. And you can visualize anything in IPA as a network. And so taking some of the genes from this table and just connect, you can connect them together and show how the causality, where you knock down different genes, they would lead to increases in these various types of nephritis. So all of this information I've been showing you is, again, powered by this knowledge base behind IPA, and it's... Curated from the literature, as I said, and so I just wanted to give you a sense of the kind of information that's curated from the literature. So, imagine one gene, PTGS2 or COX2, and the types of information we curate around a gene like that are what might be upstream, a transcription factor that drives its expression, what impact activating that gene's expression or activity would do to a downstream gene like MDM2, its increased effect on arthritis and on synthesis of prostaglandin G2. It's involved in a particular canonical pathway and there are certain drugs that target it. Um, so all of this, and then it's a biomarker for, for prosthetic carcinoma. So this is just a slice of the kind of information that's curated around um, molecules in IPA. And once you've curated that across most molecules in the, in the organism, you can really start to make inferences around how they all work together in a system. And so the knowledge that goes into IPA is literature findings, as I've been saying, um, curated from the full text by uh, scientists that work for Ka- uh, Kaijin And as well, we have modeled knowledge, which is information such as a, a canonical pathway or a talks, uh, talks list that is created by reading the literature. So, um, those are put together, we call expert knowledge. We also have incorporate third party information such as protein protein interaction databases, microRNA databases like target scan, biomarker, and clinical trial information, all in one place in one knowledge base that allows you to query across all this information at once without having to go from database to database or from tool to tool. And today, IPA has over 7.1 million findings that are used in the in the in, in the product and this has been curated for almost 20 years now uh by scientists at our company uh this is a little more detail around the uh the databases that are behind ipa in the knowledge base um it, it goes beyond uh, things like the apris that are uh, c- talking about the principal isoforms that are um for each gene ex- ex- uh Clinical trials I mentioned, gene ontology, the human phenotype ontology, and GTEx isoform content, and so on and so forth. There's lots of information all put together um, behind IPA in the knowledge base. So, what is a finding? I said there were 7.1 million findings in IPA. So, a finding is a relationship between uh, two entities or uh, two two genes between a gene and a function, like apoptosis and so on. So here's an example of one finding about a, a knockout of this gene which when knocked out in mouse decreases the expression of another mouse gene GSTM3 in the liver. And so it's a simple sentence but it, it it's been it's been obtained by reading the whole entire journal article and structuring it into our ontology and the kind of information that's captured just in case it's not clear is like the species, the downstream gene, the tissue what type of mutation it is, uh, the direction of the effect. This is really important. And the activity of the molecule, it's been decreased. And so those kinds of information allows causality to be computed. So all of that boils down to a simple picture on a network in IPA, such as when you knock down NFE2L2, it leads to decrease of GSTM3 expression. So IPA has been highly cited in the literature. Um, it's every year since it's been released. Each year, it, there are more papers that cite IPA than the year before. And they're going by Google Scholar. There are over 35,000 publications that cite Chiagen IPA as of 2019. And it's, it was released in late 2003. So as I mentioned, um, the, re- the relationships that are shown in the graphs and networks are are backed by these literature findings Um, and so you can click on a a relationship edge and double click and you get a list of the findings that are uh, backing those relationships and you can click through to to the abstract for that uh, for that reference. And it's IPA is geared towards human, mouse, and rat. So all the findings that are used in IPA are human, mouse, or rat. Um, You can analyze lots of different species in IPA. If you bring in a gene expression data set from cow or chicken or, or what have you, you can analyze it in IPA. However, you are interpreting it in the context of human, mouse, and rat findings. So to make it easier to understand the use case that I'm going to show soon, I want to give you a little more detail about what kind of analyses IPA does. So imagine throughout these next few slides that this is your data set. So obviously, most data sets are much, much larger than this, but let's pretend they're Three up regulated genes and two down regulated genes in this little toy data set. So, how does IPA interpret this expression changes for these five genes? So, what canonical pathways do is it take, oops, wrong way. What canonical pathways do is take those five genes and look to see if they fit into, which of them fit into predefined signaling or metabolic pathways. And then the pathway uh, is predicted to be activated or inhibited. So uh, it takes your genes, overlays them into a pathway, and then predicts the activity of that pathway. And this is an example of what a path, a piece of a pathway looks like in IPA. Um, and so then another way of looking at the data is what is driving the expression changes that you see. What could have been activated or inhibited upstream to create this expression pattern? And so IPA uses the literature knowledge that it has to predict what upstream regulator might have been activated or inhibited. And an upstream regulator can be a gene, like a protein, like a uh, a transcription factor, but could also be any kind of molecule. It can be a compound. It could be a microRNA. Any molecule that affects the expression of other molecules is by definition in IPA an upstream regulator or could be an upstream regulator. So this is a real example of an upstream regulator predicted to be activated based on the expression of those genes in a data set. Uh, there are different types of upstream regulators and also what I mentioned earlier about these causal networks that are multi-step regulators. So an upstream regulator is simple. It's one c- molecule, chemical, or, you know, as I was mentioning, a transcription factor that sits directly upstream of a set of data set genes. Um, and then, whereas a causal network analysis has, can have multi-layers. So you can have a master regulator here that itself affects the activity of other regulators that then uh, affect the expression uh, you see in your data set. And so um, in fact there may be no literature connections that, that connect this master regulator to the genes in, in your data set and so this is a hypothesis generating tool because you, you may discover a master regulator that had not been discovered before based on the other literature connections that are shown. Okay, and then diseases and functions is kind of uh, similar to upstream regulator analysis, except now the data set genes are upstream of your disease or function. And based on the changes in their expression, what effect would that have on a disease or a function? Does it increase or decrease that disease or function? Um, So here's a case where these six genes uh, affect uh, increase transport of fatty acid. By virtue of these six genes being upregulated, they are predicted to increase the transport of fatty acid in that system. And then regular effects puts those two together, the upstream regulators together with the downstream effects, the diseases and functions, and says, well, how might an upstream regulator drive expression changes in a set of genes in your data set, and what would that impact downstream? And so this is an example of uh, an upstream regulator. It's driving the expression of these four genes that's predicted to do that and then those would be predicted to increase transport of fatty acid and then when it runs it actually will connect together the upstream regulator and the function or disease if it if there's literature that we've curated that makes that connection but it doesn't have to have that connection in fact again this is a discovery tool because you may find an upstream regulator that has never been described to affect uh, an endpoint like this but be but because of the pattern matching that we do, that IPA does, that it will predict a new activity you, or a new connection that you wouldn't have known before. And finally, interaction networks are non-directional gene and protein interactions. You've probably seen these on posters and so on where you have um, a set of genes from a data set and how they interact together using and adding some other molecules that aren't in your data set necessarily that connect together and make these hubs that connect together um, genes to make an interaction network. Um, These don't have a specific hypothesis associated with them, but it's except to say that they work together in a system potentially. Okay, and so a key question is, if you see a, a set of upstream regulators and canonical pathways and, and, uh, and diseases predicted to be activated and inhibited a key question is well what other analyses in the world might look like that what other data sets look like mine have that same type of activity prediction and so what IPA does with analysis match now is it takes your analysis that you've run um, and it there's a core analysis in IPA and it asks the question who who else matches me? And it has the 60,000 other curated analyses to look through to find matches. And it happens in real time. When you open your analysis, there's a tab, Analysis Match. You click that and you see a list of the matching and anti matching analyses. And so again, it's asking the question what have a similar pattern of upstream regulators and canonical pathways and so on? It's not comparing upregulated and downregulated genes directly, it's comparing the biology that's predicted from those genes. To make those um, connections to other data sets so i'm going to talk a little more about how this works or um, what you can do with it first is that you can build confidence in your results because if you see something in your data set that's something about you know toxicity uh, you, and you you can go and say does do have other people seen the same thing would other people of other data sets in a, of a similar type also see those same results confirming that you're seeing the same biology um, you can develop greater insights by looking at what's driving the upstream, you know, what's the upstream drivers across a whole set of analyses that are similar or different. And uh, you can key in on, you know, similar regulators in, in that way. And you can evaluate your hypothesis and also understand, is it is it really rare is or is it common? Like lots and lots of analyses have this particular upstream regulator predicted to be activated. So it's not a unique to, you know, this one data set. And that can be used for, you know, toxicity mechanism prediction, looking for biomarkers and target discovery and repurposing drugs. So where do the 60,000 analyses come from? So um, KIAGEN acquired a company a few years ago called Omicsoft, which has been curating... um, Gene expression and other kinds of data from the from the public sources like GEO and SRA, um, in, uh, in for years now, and they have a huge collection of, of data of these types like DNA seq mutations and uh, RNA seq SNPs and, and and so on and so forth. The part that IPA uses is the gene expression information, which is from RNA seq or microarray. There's over 340 samples from that Omicsoft has acquired and reprocessed and recurated, and re-annotated and carefully put into a knowledge base or, a, I'm sorry, a repository of data. IPA now has those data sets that represent from those 340,000 samples and has run analyses on all these data sets. So among those samples, 60,000 Comparisons have been created, so uh, tumor versus normal. Uh, so set of, one set of samples ratio to another set of samples. And so those 340,000 samples boil down to 60,000 expression comparisons, data sets that are run in IPA. And now when you open your analysis with analysis match, you can see those uh, similar and different analyses from that collection. And so um, the sixty thousand sets are of these types. They they're organized into what are called lands. So there's a disease land and an onco land, and there's more onco land. And um, they're human and they're mouse and they're rat, and they break down into these different diseases and tissues and expression platforms. And and, and one of the ones maybe more interest, you know, especially of interest to toxicologists is the rat disease. There's uh, eight hundred and forty six data sets, uh, representing uh, different diseases and treatments and so on. Okay. So let's go to a case study that I've been promising to talk about, which is the biological effects of gemfibrozil in the liver of rat. So this is a study of the effects of gemfibrozil, a lipid-lowering drug in the liver transcriptome of rats and so um, uh, just to say uh, genfibrazole is a PPAR-alpha agonist and so we would expect to see uh, that this compound would activate the PPAR-alpha nuclear receptor and activate a whole cascade of uh, gene expression and changes in functions and and so on downstream of that and um, so this is the actual study. It was uh, published in 2014. Uh, it's tr- three rats treated with um, 700 mg uh, per kg of c- gemfibrazole for seven days against a control group of six rats uh, fed corn oil for seven days, and the data was generated on Illumina platform and then processed through the Kyogen Omicsoft Array Studio, and uh, that's what the data looks like as a volcano plot in uh, Ray studio. And then was analyzed in IPA with the full change cutoffs of, of only genes that are uh, down-regulated less than a full change of negative 1.5 or up-regulated with a full change greater than 1.5 and had a p-value, adjusted p-value less than 0. 0.01 and had at least uh, 10 FpKM in either the experiment or the control samples. And so that resulted in uh, a data set of about 503 down-regulated genes and 461 up-regulated genes. So that data set of down-regulated and up-regulated genes was brought into IPA and analyzed. And just to summarize, um, some of the key findings are that uh, we see if the PPAR-alpha upstream, reg- uh, upstream regulator being activated, the cholesterol biosynthesis was uh, increased, fatty acid beta-oxidation and ketogenesis were both increased, there were a couple of um, inhibited pathways. The LXR, RXR pathway was inhibited as well as cholesterol transport was, was inhibited. Um, and so uh, let's t- look at that in a little more detail. So here is the actual pathway uh, in, the, in, the, in the treated rats. And so the red genes here are those that were actually observed to be upregulated, the red, Predicted to be, I mean, actually upregulated by gemfibrozil in the uh, rat liver, and those lead to predictions of increased beta oxidation and glucose homeostasis and so on uh, by by IPA. And interestingly, note that PPAR alpha itself was not upregulated in the data set, so it's it's orange because it's predicted to be activated, but it's not red. It wasn't actually uh, significantly increased. Um, but we can predict, or IPA can predict, the upstream regulator activity was activated even though the gene itself has not had a transcriptional, it's not differentially expressed. And that's a theme throughout IPA is that we can predict activity of molecules. It's not just based on the observed fold changes. And this is just to show the upstream regulator PPAR-alpha itself being predicted activated. This was in the context of a canonical pathway, but as an upstream regulator, it was also predicted to be activated, and this is a subcellular layout, and, you know, it's a nuclear protein, and all of these other genes are laid out in their respective compartments or, you know, locations in the cell. Uh, these are the data set genes that led to the prediction of PPAR alpha activation, and then you can connect in something like beta-oxidation of fatty acid function and ask what effect would all this changes have on that, and it would increase it. That's orange and this is just a quick summary of, of some of the um, pathway impacts on canonical pathways uh, and on functions such as oxidation of fatty acid. Uh, the z-score it, again when it's positive it means it's ac- increased and um, negative z-score means it's decreased and that's what these colors also indicate. So um, this is kind of just a summary of what, what happened. I'm really wanting to show you what the matches to other analyses tells us, um, so what other conditions have predictions similar to these? And so, just conceptually to explain how this works, um, so imagine I'm looking for an upstream regulator pattern that looks like the one in the gem treated. So, this is, imagine, this is not, this is a, not a real example. This is like shrunk down <laughs> uh, to fit on this slide. But imagine, um, you have a signature where certain, uh, upstream regulators are predicted to be activated or inhibited in your query, in your gem treated, um, analysis. And then ask the question, are there other analyses that have a similar signature? And so, here's another analysis where, uh, certain, uh, upstream regulators are, uh, uh, matching. So these are the activated trans, uh, upstream regulators in another analysis, and here are the inhibited upstream regulators in this other analysis, and several of them match. So this is a positive match to um, to this query, the gemfibrizol query signature. And so the fact that it matches positively again means it matches, <laughs> it's a positive match, but you can also imagine a situation where these are backwards, where PPAR alpha was inhibited. In this other analysis and this gene is inhibited in analysis, then it would have an anti-match. It could start to have an anti-match where it, it was actually backwards, where it like essentially what was up in one in my query is down in the, in the other one. Then it would be an anti-match or a negative match, which can also be really interesting. I'll show you that soon. Okay. So this is an upstream regulator signature query essentially. And then imagine doing that for also for causal networks, for canonical pathways and for disease and functions. OK, so there's four signatures that are going to be computed for each against for my query against every other analysis. OK, so there's a lot of information on this slide, but um, this is the this is the analysis match table of results. And so what is shown in the far right is the score or the match score for each of those four signatures, the pathways, the upstream regulators, the master regulators, and the disease and function. And each row is an analysis. So each row is a matching analysis in the case of these bright pink matches because their score is positive. So you see how this is like 87% similar at the canonical pathway level. This is a percentage, in fact. And then there's an overall average. And then it's just been, the table's been filtered and to show only the best matches or anti-matches. And these blue ones are actually anti-matches, so they are like backwards, like I was saying. They, they have the opposite pattern. And so you have a table of matches, and you can start to sp- explore what's in these tables. What is, what is matching or anti-matching? And you can there's various metadata that Omicsoft has curated, um, such as what is it from a mouse? Is it from human? um is it uh, what kind of disease state it is what kind of tissue it is and and what kind of comparison it is is it a treatment versus a control is it a you know treatment versus another treatment and so on and you can read by the comparison contrast exactly what it is so um i just wanted to say this one that doesn't have any metadata at the top that's actually another my own analysis because you also see your own analyses in this um table and this is one that it's the same exact experiment but it was run using microarrays instead of RNA-seq the one that i'm showing again was RNA-seq so the not surprisingly the best match of all is it's is itself on a different platform and that's and that's also a good time to say that you know this is one powerful aspect of this tool as well is that it doesn't require it to really be run on the same platform or even the same species you see matches that are to mouse and human and so on, and it's sort of cross-species, cross-platform, and it's looking at the biology. So the top matching analysis that's not itself is uh, another PPAR agonist, uh, and then there's phenofibrate, which is another family member of uh, the fibrate family like like gemfibrozil is, as well as many other different compounds and other types of treatments. So let's explore these matches a little bit in more detail. So at this point, we're just seeing a percentage match, but we can drill into this uh, to show what is exactly driving these matches. And so you can select a set of these, or all of these that you want, and set uh, create a heat map of those. And the heat map, this is really small, I know, the heat map is uh, meant to show the actual signature of your analysis, your query analysis, and then how each other analysis matched that signature. And so this is, first of all, this has been rotated 90 degrees from how it's usually shown in IPA, but it's also um, a very small piece of it. This is just a part of the upstream regulator signature. So this is not the, the canonical pathway signature or the disease and function signature. This is just the upstream regulators and just a part of them, there's just a few and um there i want to point out a few things such as there you can see that the so i picked both sorry i picked both matching and anti-matching analyses so i picked all of these so some of there's actually not all of them shown so some of these are anti-matching and so, and the number are matching so the the query analysis is the um pink one here so that's that's the gemfibrazole and you can see that for every one of these upstream regulators, it's predicted to be activated. That's what these are upstream regulators. It's predicted to be activated, and some of them are blue, and that's the anti-matching ones. And then there's a so if you cluster these, you sort of see three clusters actually of of uh, of analyses and of the regulators. So you see a set of analyses which contains the gem fibrousil query which has an activation of SCAP and SREBP and PPAR-alpha, you see another cluster, and sorry, those are shown here, those arrows, and so that's the SREBF1 and 2 and um, SCAP, and then PPAR-alpha is here. So they have all activation of those, those four, essentially. And then there's another group, which has activation of of SCAP and the SRBPs, these two, but they don't really activate PPAR-alpha. So these little dots mean they're not significant. So PPAR-alpha is sort of neither activated nor inhibited. It's just sort of weakly um, predicted. There's no real activation or inhibition. And then there's a third cluster, the anti-matchers, which turn these guys off, but also turn off or predicted to be turned off for PPAR-alpha or just sort of weak. So that's the three clusters you see, and we're going to dig into what what these what these relationships are, what these analyses are. So, the matching ones are a lot of PPAR alpha and gamma inhib- uh, activators, like gemfibrozil and r- rosiglitazone treatments, uh, and so on. You also see things like adipose differentiation that match this um, treatment of rats with gemfibrozil. You also see high fat and other. Um, Phenotypes like high fat and tre- or ppar gamma agonists in the presence of high fat and, and so on. So that's the kind of analyses that match this uh, gemfibrozil treatment. The middle cl- class here is uh, some interesting like flu infection and uh, just differentiation medium. So it's sort of a different class. And then finally, there's a couple of interesting ones that anti-match. So a knock. This is actually a knockdown of a PPAR, out, uh, ppar regulators. So prdm16. SHRNA, so this PRDM16 gene has been knocked down, and that's causing it to actually turn off PPAR-alpha, apparently. And also, there's a case of atopic dermatitis um, uh, tissue, skin tissue from human that had a, a, atopic dermatitis tissue versus a normal skin, and that also anti-matches, or and uh, the, the and turns off PPAR-alpha. So we're going to explore this a little bit more. So first, like I was saying, the PRDM16 knockdown leads to downregulation of several relevant genes. So this is actually not the gemfibrozil experiment anymore. This is the PRDM16 shRNA uh, versus a scrambled control ex- uh, analysis. And it's been um, it overlaid onto this little network in IPA, and it shows how it actually has knocked down PPAR gamma and PPAR alpha. So the actual expression of PPAR alpha and and gamma have been knocked have been decreased in the, uh when you knock down PRDM sixteen by shRNA, and that would lead to decreased differentiation of adipocytes predicted. And so anyway, it's PRDM sixteen is a regulator of alpha or PPAR activity in adipose tissue. So um That's an interesting discovery you can make. I wouldn't have known to look for PRDM16, but because of analysis match, you're able to connect to a data set that's interesting and relevant, and already someone else ran this experiment, and now you can explore it in more detail. The um, atopic dermatitis is interesting because, um, again, as I was mentioning, PPAR-alpha is inhibited by atopic dermatitis, apparently. And in fact... it it implies that maybe application of a PPAR-alpha agonist might treat that atopic dermatitis, because if PPAR-alpha is inhibited, maybe reversing that with an agonist could have a ameliorative effect on the disease. And in fact, if you go look in the literature, there has been reports of using um, um, PPAR-alpha agonists to suppress atopic dermatitis. So this is a sort of a drug repurposing kind of use you can come get from using um, IPA with analysis match and I wanted to talk about how clustering the sorry so let me back up for a sec this is um, now I had shown you the the heat map of clustering just the upstream regulators now this uh, you can of cluster all of the signature entities together you don't have to just look at the upstream regulators by themselves you can cluster the upstream regulators with the canonical pathways those signature entities and you can see how closely clustering uh, because of their pattern across all these analyses is the super pathway of cholesterol biosynthesis pathway and these three um, upstream regulators that I mentioned earlier and uh, that are activated in gemfibrozil and decreased in these other anti-matching ones. And so you can see how that says that somehow these, it implies that somehow these three regulators might have some relevance to the super pathway of cholesterol biosynthesis. And so, in fact, it turns out that uh, if you open the uh, upstream, uh, sorry, the, metab- the metabolic pathway, the super pathway of cholesterol biosynthesis, these do connect in. In fact, these three are key regulators of that activate the rate limiting step in cholesterol biosynthesis and in fact um, hmGCR which is the rate limiting step of cholesterol bios- biosynthesis is up regulated by gem consistent with the activation that we saw uh, of the other regulators uh, here. So you can generate hypotheses just by looking at the clustering of um, of, the, of in the in the signatures. There's a new feature that just came out in end of March in IPA that I think is really powerful, I also wanted to talk about, which is instead of looking at analysis match as what analyses match or anti-match an analysis of my interest, what if I had a one disease or one function or one upstream regulator of interest? When, and I wanted to look at that across all 60,000 analyses. And so that's exactly what this tool does. It says, okay, for the PPAR-alpha as an upstream regulator, show me all the analyses that have some effect on PPAR-alpha, predicted to have some effect on PPAR-alpha as an upstream regulator. And w- the way to read this, act- what we call an activity plot, is that this those, those that are over here, that are in the, with the Z-score above 2, have predicted it, have activated PPAR-alpha. Each one of these dots is one of the analyses. And then over here, the negative Z-scores are ones that are predicted to be in, have inhibited PPAR-alpha. And if you select a group of these, you can then start to look at, well, what are these analyses and look at the metadata. And um, you can click on any row and get all the metadata. And it turns out that many of these over here are, in fact, and not surprisingly, a PPAR-alpha agonist or PPAR agonists um, like uh, phenofibrate. That's this one right here, actually this blue one here that's phenofibrate has extremely strong in, uh, activation of P-par-alpha, very, very, very significant P-value. And so this is a way to understand one entity like p alpha across everything all at once. Um, and you can you can actually select, let me go back here, you can select a set of rows or analyses and ask, well, is there metadata that's significant across these? Is there something in common at the level of metadata that bring these analyses together that I can understand. So I select those, click evaluate metadata and you get a table where it shows the, each metadata field and the, and the term that's significant. So it turns out that, um, oops, that uh, for example, high fat and rosiglitazone as a subject, as a treatment is very significant. So 11 analyses that are in that set have those, have been treated uh, with rosiglitazone. their high fat diet and rosiglitazone treated, uh, animals. And so it's a way to generate a hypothesis really quickly about what's driving up, uh, an upstream regulator like people alpha. And so, um, the last kind of t- couple topics I'll talk about is this integration between, uh, IPA and land explorer. And so, uh, everybody who who has ipa can click a um the link in the, the gene view that is uh called the view G, view gtex human tissue expression and so you can ask the question what is the expression of this gene across uh, uh, human tissues from the gtex uh, consortium you click that link and you find out for example that um, this gene, uh, SREBF1, is mostly highest expressed in uh, the adrenal gland, and then second is liver. And the, so that's not too surprising. We've been studying this in liver, and so you can uh, really explore tissue specificity and so on in this in this uh, tool within IPA. And now, and just in March, we built on this integration between um, IPA and Land Explorer to have a New quick links that go from uh, a, every gene view in IPA to an Omicsoft uh, view in the Land Explorer with the expression levels across various uh, tissues, uh, hematopoietic cells, and in different disease states, and so on. This uh, requires an, uh, a Land Explorer license, but you can essentially click one of these links directly, and you can go. To uh, a view of relevance in in land explorers. So, for example, this is uh, the HMGCR gene, and it turns out it's in fact it is upregulated in um, atopic dermatitis in in mice in mouse and psoriasis in humans. So this hypothesis that uh, there's a connection maybe between p Alpha and other in a cholesterol pathway HMGCR gene, you can find out directly that in fact HMGCR is upregulated in that disease state. So it's a way to quickly test hypotheses by jumping from IPA to a huge compendium of of data um, in uh, the Land Explorer. And th- this is just the beginning of what you can do in Land Explorer. I, I don't have time to go into that, but it's it's a very powerful tool. It can provide um, information about mutation frequencies. If you're studying uh, human disease or human cancer and there's expression in in different um, cell lines and in different disease states and different species and so on, It's, it's really powerful. If you'd like to read more about analysis match, there's a link you can write down that will um, let you download a da- uh, white paper about analysis match uh, to go into a little more of the math behind the matching and so on, that I much more than I had time to do today. I want to really thank you for your time and your attention. And if you do need to contact us, uh, these are our ways to contact us. And um, thank you very much. And now we'll have a Q&A session. Please use the chat box as I was saying to submit your questions and we'll answer them if we can in the time remaining. Okay, there's a question. How do you decide what cutoffs to use to analyze all the Omicsoft analyses in IPA? Yeah, that's a good question. So you know, There's wildly different data sets in the collection from different species and so on, as I mentioned. So uh, we did some analyses and decided the best approach would be to take the top 1,000 uh, genes that up and down, that passed the p-value cutoff of 0.01, and put those into uh, IPA so each analysis has usually around a thousand genes sometimes there's less and if there's less than uh, if there's too few we don't it doesn't get analyzed Um, the white paper that I mentioned earlier goes into all the detail about the strategy to um, generate those analyses in IPA Um, I wanted to mention too yeah so we we add new analyses almost every quarter in IPA from the Omicsoft, and as well, we refresh the entire collection uh, each time. So when new pathways get added to IPA and new new findings, we rerun the entire uh, growing sixty thousand data sets uh, you know each quarter to bring them up to date with the latest uh, content. Okay, there's another question. When an upstream regulator matches in another in another analysis, do the data set genes match too? Yeah, so I think what you mean is like the set of target genes that are in two upstream regulators, uh, sorry, there are one upstream regulator that's matching between two analyses. It's uh TGF beta has been predicted, let's say, as an upstream regulator. Are the genes that are in each of those from those two different analyses the same? And that answer is no, actually. They, uh, as long as they predict TGF beta was activated, they both have the same match, but at the level of the tgf beta gene so as an upstream regulator so this is a, a kind of an uh, another way that ipa can bring the biology together even if the literal underlying data set genes don't exactly match but if they have the same predictive biology they'll match and that's how we can get matches across species and and platforms and so on um and there's a question Uh, Can I look up a disease or function and show its activity plot or does it have to be part of an analysis to show the activity plot? Uh, No. So you can just go in and look up any you know, disease or function or upstream regulator gene or chemical and bring up an activity plot. You search for it and then you click a button to show the activity plot. And so this is a really cool way to see uh, right away, um, again, for this upstream regulator, for this disease, this chemical. What are the analyses that predicted to turn it on or off? And you can do that just by doing a search and then looking up the activity and then showing the activity plot. Okay, that's all the time we have today. But if you have any remaining questions, please submit them in the chat box and we'll reach out directly to you. Thank you again for attending the webinar today. I will now close the session. Have a great rest of the day, everyone. Thanks.